you're a CPA firm, uh, you can act in a solicitor capacity, which would be, you know, you're simply referring business to another investment advisor that may be complementary to your business, but you're not necessarily, you know, managing the assets of those clients. Um, and, you know, if, if there's a good fit there, you're referring to an investment advisor firm or other investment advisor firms, which you can receive a, uh, some kind of commission uh, type model. Welcome to AFO Wealth Management Forward, a podcast about finance, accounting, technology, and entrepreneurship. We apply our decades worth of experience and insight into what makes businesses work so we can help others grow both personally and professionally. In this ever-evolving marketplace, we help accounting firms and financial advisors grow their practice through the adoption of holistic wealth management services. Learn from industry leaders and subject matter experts to unlock the secrets of their success. A podcast that shows people and companies the transformative power of technology so they don't fear it, but instead harness it. Don't fight the robots, team up with them. And here are your hosts, Rory Henry, Director of Business Development and CEO Rob Santos of Arrowroot Family Office. Hello and welcome to AFO Wealth Management Forward. Today we are being joined by Scott Terra of Connexion. Scott has over 18 years of experience in the financial services industry. He works with FINRA broker-dealers and with the SEC and state investment advisors, focusing on registration, governance, risk management, and compliance matters. He was an examiner at NASD Regulation Inc., now FINRA, where he conducted comprehensive examinations and investigations of federal broker-dealers for compliance with federal, state, and SRO rules and regulations. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Rory. All right, Dan, we're joined by Rob Santos. Rob, how you doing? Hi, gents. Doing great. Great to have Scott on. All right. Uh, so, Scott, let's let's start out here, and why don't you give us a background and tell our audience uh, about Connexion and uh, yourself and what you do? Sure. So Connexion really is a, a three-tier platform. Um, we kind of focus solely on the financial services industry. Um, we our first kind of marketplace or platform is to is an as an expert marketplace. We have this expert marketplace to really connect financial service firms such as investment advisors, broker dealers with um, our network of of service providers, consultants, experts, and compliance professionals. Um, if we're a financial f- service firm and you need help with a particular compliance project. Uh, you can go on our platform and we'll connect you with the right compliance consultant that can get your um, your project needs uh, addressed. Uh, we have a, a second platform, which is a digital library. This is really a comprehensive uh, resource library out there for not only fe- access to federal and state securities um, forms and documents and checklists, but we also offer uh, free to fee-based documents that are really resources for firms to tap into from a compliance standpoint, forms, checklists, documents, uh, white label products they customize and align to their particular size, scope, and function. Um, and then lastly, we have a, a self-publishing uh, platform. It allows our service providers on the compliance side to post white papers, position statements to really kind of elevate their footprint in the industry, uh, which is posted on their profile for financial firms to see. So we're really focused primarily in this space and uh, it's uh, it's working well so far. Been been in business since... Uh, <laughs> January of nineteen or 2017, so going strong. Great. All right, I want to make uh, sure our audience is clear on some definitions as we have started. You know, can you explain what an investment advisor is and then also what an investment advisor representative is? 
Sure. So in, in the basic sense, there's really a three-pronged test to this. And the, and the regulators see this as any person or entity that holds themselves out to the public uh, where they're providing or offering investment advice for compensation, right? So there's really a three-pronged three test here. Uh, the regulators and uh, the firms should really look at it from a standpoint of do they hold themselves out to the public as an investment advisor or offering investment advice to the public? Um, are they getting paid specific to the, the advice they're offering to their clients? In other words, if, if I'm giving advice with respect to securities or investment products that are specific to a, uh, a prospective or investment uh, investor's uh, set of circumstances, uh, that would be the second prong test. And then third, if I'm getting if I'm getting uh, paid for that, those uh, services or that advice. And that really is the general definition of what makes up a, an investment advisor. Um, you know, the investment advisor has to be registered first and foremost as a, as a firm, uh, whether it's with the SEC or the state. Uh, and then the investment advisor representatives would be those licensed individuals that are acting on behalf of that entity to offer advice specific to those clients. Right. Got it. Scott, I'll, I'll hop in here. You know, first I'll say uh, thank you so much. We we actually worked with Scott when we started our registered investment advisory uh, practice, as well as our our broker dealer, um, and so it was just absolutely fantastic uh, working with Scott, continuing to work with Scott and, and his team. Um, you know, S Scott, could you maybe just spend a second and talk about your experience and. Um, you know, the growth in the registered investment advisor kind of space that we've seen in the last kind of five to 10 years? Yeah, so we've seen uh, really a tremendous migration from the broker dealer side of things where, um, you know, there was, there was approximately 4,500 broker dealers and about 19,000 investment advisors stayed in SEC. Uh, collectively um, uh, nationwide. And so we've seen a kind of a migration over time from uh, firms uh, deviating from the commission model of the broker dealer and really going towards a fiduciary type model where they're managing client assets, really kind of operating in much more of a high touch position where um, managing the portfolio and the client assets is something which, which is a closer relationship to the, to the end client and uh, tends to be um, I, I think there seems to be a transition towards that, not only from a regulatory standpoint, but also from just a customer relationship management standpoint as well. Yeah. You know, we, uh, we obviously were part of that wave. Uh, a lot of folks at every family office and, and various affiliates that we have worked at much larger firms that were uh, associated with broker dealers. Um, and, you know, we've really seen, a lot of clients demand that fiduciary standard um, and look for it uh, as well. Um, and you know, a lot of folks on on the podcast are accountants that are thinking about uh, becoming registered investment advisors or at least affiliate uh, with uh, another investment advisor. Could you maybe talk about before we talk about starting their own RAA? Maybe some considerations that some accounting firms should take when they're thinking about it from a regulatory standpoint uh, about associating with, with a registered investment advisor or a broker dealer? Sure. So I, I think a lot of firms, it, it seems to be a, a natural kind of track for CPA firms to, to consider this. It is, you know, they are in this space of, of giving advice 
uh, seems to be a natural progression to kind of uh, move into the investment uh, advice um, or advisory arena. And it seems to be complementary to their practice, whether it's taxes or investments and things like that, um, or audit work. And so I think some of the considerations are what space do they want to be in, right? So there's several different tracks about if you're a CPA firm, uh, you can act in a solicitor capacity, which would be, you know, you're simply referring business to another investment advisor that may be complementary to your business, but you're not necessarily, you know, managing the assets of those clients. Um, And, you know, if, if there's a good fit there, you're referring to an investment advisor firm or other investment advisor firms, which you can receive. A, uh, some kind of commission uh, type model. Uh, other firms can associate with other CPA firms can also associate with broker dealers in a capacity, or they can take the route where they want to be registered, where they're either starting their own practice or affiliating in a registered capacity with uh, an existing investment advisor. So it, all of these come with it, you know, pros and cons, right? We have situation where if you're acting as a solicitor, you can you can maintain your. This is really for firms or CPA firms where. They want to maintain their current practice. That's their core competency. And they have a situation where they want to add uh, complementary services, but not necessarily be registered and involved uh, in that capacity. Um, and so they can still offer advisor firms that can offer advice that they that they may need uh, so they can fill that niche but also receive compensation. They can also go the route of, of um, affiliating with an existing firm where they may need to get registered depending on the circumstances and they can offer their own investment advice. Uh, but there are, you know, some conflicts of interest that come with that. So it's a matter of how you handle that, how you disclose it, things of that nature. Um, yeah. So there's, there's different tracks that a CPA firm can, can consider in, in getting into this particular space. Yeah. And, you know, we, um, we obviously have our, our wealth management forward program where we're trying to, you know, assist accounting firms and and going through that. But even for folks that aren't signed up for that course, you know, we really suggest um, before going into this realm of uh, either being a solicitor or or becoming an RIA, talking to somebody like yourself, Scott, um, you know, before you start marketing it, before you start talking to people about it, or certainly before you start to uh, have clients uh, make any kind of activity is, you know, talk to a compliance uh, expert like yourself. Yeah, and I also think it's good to um, reach out to the AICPA as well that has its own kind of governing body and, and code of ethics and things like that. So you can make sure you're you're kind of operating within the framework of, of um, their body, but also looking at reg- other regulatory considerations before moving in that, in, in that uh, direction. Absolutely. And speaking of uh, regulatory conditions here, uh, Scott, can you touch on Rule 206-4-1, the modernized marketing rule that that becomes effective on May 4th? And it's my understanding this creates a single rule which replaces the the current advertising and cash solicitation rules. Can you kind of break down uh, that new ruling and what it means? Sure. There's a lot of moving parts to that, but I'll I'll try to (laughs) paraphrase here. Uh, Yeah, so this rule came out. Yeah, it's effective May 4th of this year. Um, it is a pretty sweeping change with some of the advertising regulations we've seen in the past. SEC has basically looked at this and said, look, you know, we've had existing marketing or advertising rules in place for many years. Uh, they haven't changed. They've been rather stagnant. And uh, yet the landscape has changed in terms of how advisors uh, are, are reaching out, communicating with clients, prospective clients, uh, existing clients 
uh, um, heavy use of technology and the social media uh, uh, landscape. So uh, I think in reaction to this and kind of being more up to date with with the rules and aligning this with, with current landscape, SEC came out with this with this um, this rule, which really just modernizes the rules, right? Um, it breaks down the definition of, of what is considered advertising, uh, which is any really communications uh, which are, that are more than to more than one person. So um, this is kind of a much more uh, of a broad definition of, of advertising. It does include the use of technology, social media platforms, things of this nature, which weren't addressed prior to that. Um, but I think most notably for um, for CPA firms would be that that it really kind of removes with, with this new rule. It really kind of removes the cash solicitation rule and kind of wraps those some of those requirements and, and updates it under the uh, use of, of compensated uh, testimonials and endorsements, right? So, so in effect, uh, what a lot of CPA firms will, will use by way of a solicitor arrangement with an existing firm uh, really goes away. And it's replaced by uh, the general advertising rules that kind of encompass all of these requirements, which they say that if you're gonna be, if an advisor firm is gonna be compensated or compensating a person or entity for use of testimonials or endorsements, there are certain disclosure requirements that need to be uh, in play uh, that at the time that the testimonial or endorsement is made, and there needs to be certain uh, disclosures as to whether or not the testimonial or the endorsement is by a customer of record, an existing customer, or um, a person other than a customer, uh, how the cash or non-cash compensation is, uh, if there's any cash or non-cash compensation provided as a result of that testimonial or, or endorsement, and also talking about any material uh, conflicts of interest, right, as a result of that relationship. So if there is a relationship between that that promoter that they, the SEC uses the term promoter mm -hmm. uh, of the advisory services and that advisor firm, and they're getting paid for making that testimonial recommendation, then that should be disclosed as well. So um, so there are some difference, differences in what, what we're used to seeing at the old um, cash solicitation rule or soliciting agreements and what's in, in play currently. So, and, and depending on, and there's a lot of moving parts of this, but not to get too much in the details, but you know, you've got situations where the SEC says, if there's compensation less than a thousand dollars for the, uh, within a 12 month period, then that's considered de minimis and there's no need for an agreement. Anything above that threshold, you would need to provide a written agreement that kind of spells out the terms and conditions of that, of that endorsement. And these are all things that really kind of replace and are updating the old solicitation uh, requirements, right, from the cash solicitation rules. Got it. And and you know, Scott. So we also talk about in our our program. We kind of lay out the three different paths that people can do. Um, you know, in order to for accounting firms to start incorporating some holistic wealth management services in their firm. Um, you know, one of them as kind of fully outsourced, you know, you're just referring out to someone uh, right. secondarily is maybe doing some in-house and, and some outsource. And third is kind of, uh, you know, looking to bring the full RIA uh, in-house. You know, could you maybe just spend a second talking about the need of a, of maybe just using a solicitor's agreement and um, you know, what's roundabout, what states that kind of works, works for? Sure. So, so there's a, there's a couple different, uh, things that work here, right? We kind of bifurcated by federal requirements and, and state requirements. So when we talk about federal requirements, there's, 
there's, a, there's advisors at the federal level which are managing 100 million in assets under management or more. Um, anything less than that really defaults to the state. And we're really dealing with a, a patchwork of regulatory requirements, right? Each state has their own specific requirements. Um, there are a, a, a handful of states, I think, and for example, California is one of them, where you can operate in a solicitor capacity, for example, um, without triggering registration requirements. But there are certain requirements that the advisor firm for which they're working with that solicitor has to make certain disclosure requirements. In other words, there's, you know, you don't have to meet the, the registration requirements, but that advisor firm would have to uh, file a particular filing similar to a U4 filing um, to notify the regulators that these solicitors are acting on the advisor's behalf, right? Uh, and depending on the state, some states say, if you are acting as a solicitor, that is deemed to be an investment advisor by definition. And so we require, you know, which triggers the state requirements for registration. So it all comes down to state specific requirements. But, but um, I think the, the, uh, the one that requires, the channel that requires the least amount of, of complications would be the solicitor arrangement, right? Which is, you know, you, you are acting as a solicitor on behalf of another advisor where you're referring business or soliciting on behalf of that advisor for which uh, you're receiving some form of compensation, right? Um, that may be a case where there's a CPA firm that is um, has clients that need particular help in the uh, area of investments. They don't currently offer those. So they uh, build a relationship with one or more investment advisor firms, which they refer uh, those clients to to meet those needs on the investment side of things. Got it. That'll so, be the first channel. Yeah, and so you know, we we always try to underline the fact because you know this there's a lot of folks from across the country that are on on the call, and they may be in one state and have clients in another state, um, and you know we'll have a conversation with them, and they say no no problem, I have a solicitor's agreement with X Y Z firm, and it's all fine, and then they realize that the amount of clients that they might have in another state actually does require a registration uh, within that state. And so, again, we really just want to highlight to people that before they start to offer these services, you know, talking to someone like yourself uh, is really, really important to make sure that you are running correctly with those state and, and, and potential federal uh, guidelines uh, as well. Right. I think that's a good point to note, too, because if you're dealing with clients in multiple states, uh, if you're sitting at the state level, meaning, you know, you're you're um, you may be soliciting or referring business to investment advisor, maybe that's a, a state advisor. Right. There's what's called a, a de minimis exemption. Right. And there is a federal a federal de minimis exemption at the SEC level. And then there's a state. Every state has because its own de minimis exemption. But um Basically, that is that the states don't um, deem you to be uh, big enough, if you will, um, to, to trigger registration requirements in that state if you have fewer than uh, six or fewer clients uh, within a 12-month period and you have no place of business in that state. So, for example, if I'm an investment advisor in the state of California and I want to do business in another state, then uh, it really kind of, you have to look specifically at the, the amount of clients you have and whether or not you have a physical presence in that state, whether there's a registration uh, requirement uh, to be li licensed as an investment advisor. Yeah, and you know, we, you know, in addition to talking to someone like yourself before you go through this, you know, we also try to tell everybody that 
the investment advisory firm that they're working with to make sure to ask these questions um, you know, after they're or before they're entering into these agreements with that investment advisory firm to make sure that they're taking care of those requirements if needed, if there's any kind of registration need or not, um, and how you fit into that before you get into those kind of relationships. Absolutely. Yeah, there is, I think, a, a amount of due diligence process that would go into this, right? Not only looking at it from a standpoint of from the CPA to the advisor, but but also um, advisor to CPA to make sure this is a good fit. Um, the advisor, if they're offering services, that the advisor will be acting as, as a, in a solicitor capacity. If that's truly a good fit for their clients and meet, meeting the needs of their investments. Um, but also looking at it in terms of whether the investment advisor has any uh, reportable disclosures and ma- making sure that um, I think both parties go through the due diligence process to make sure this is this is the right decision. Yeah, and I maybe can step back uh, as well, Scott, and, and talk about the exam requirements uh, for IAR and an IA. What, what are needed as far as the passing exams um, uh, for sure. both those? Uh, so there's some basic requirements that if you are acting the capacity of a, of a registered advisor, then you are looking at it from a standpoint of a licensing requirements, which generally most states, and again, it's somewhat of a patchwork of requirements, but the common theme seems to be with most states is that you uh, should have either a seven, a series seven and a 66 combined will uh, allow you to operate in a registered investment capacity or a series 65, uh, which is a standalone exam, or you can uh, operate as an investment advisor by way of an ex- exemption, whether you have any designations like a, a PFS, CIC, Chartered Financial Consultant, um, uh, designations such as that, uh, or you can be grandfathered in, which is generally reserved for those who are maybe affiliated with a broker dealer, acting in um, in su- such capacity with a broker dealer or investment advisor for I think it's a, I believe it's two years um, uh, with continuous employment, and I think in some cases you can be grandfathered in without uh, triggering any, any licensing requirements. But those are really the general the three typical standards that you would apply to somebody that's looking for licensing or qualification. Got it. Great, Scott. And, you know, um, and just, a, a you know, one quick thing to talk about. So for accounting firms that are looking to start their own RIA, you know, other than obviously reaching out to someone like yourself to help them understand um, all of those requirements. Can you maybe just from a 30,000 foot view, you know, some of the regulatory uh, and compliance considerations that they should start thinking about, um, you know, both from a responsibility standpoint, but also operationally um, before they start to, to go down that road? Sure. So there are some, um, if, if they're acting in a solicitor capacity, which um, to Rory's point earlier, you know, a lot of these um, solicitor arrangements will be kind of morphing into somewhat, something somewhat different, effective May 4th. Um, the SEC has really given this transition period from, from May to November of 2022 to kind of move into full compliance with the, uh, the updated or modern advertising rules. Um, so you have a little bit of time, but I think if you're acting in that solicitor capacity, 
it's something where you want to look at it from a standpoint of uh, having appropriate books and records in place, right? Uh, do you have the necessary documents, disclosure documents, um, pre-advertising rule? Do you have the, are you operating under the, under the solicitor rules? Are you giving the disclosure documents as required, the form ADV? Um, are you maintaining books and records uh, in accordance with some of the requirements? So really looking at it from a federal SEC requirement standpoint in terms of books and records, or a state-specific uh, books and records requirement standpoint um, in, in the solicitor requirements. If you're looking at moving into um, affiliating with another investment advisor firm, there are certain requirements that you have to go through. Uh, again, books and records requirements, uh, certain operational requirements that you have to comply with if you're affiliating with another investment advisor in a registered capacity. Um, or if you're starting your own firm, there is certainly compliance requirements, registration requirements, um, filing requirements, both at the firm level and the individual level, um, not to mention ancillary requirements like fingerprint cards and things like that, which all require fees and timing of filings and, and uh, reporting to the, to the regulatory, uh, to, the, to the specific regulatory agencies for which you're uh, requesting approval. So there, there are a lot of considerations. A lot of it are, you know, do you have the the operations to accommodate uh, the added practice or added operations? Do you have the books and records necessary for meeting the compliance requirements? And all those are, are spelled out, I think, in, in not only the state regulatory framework, and, but uh, federal requirements as well. Yeah, ab absolutely. And, you know, as somebody that, that we started our own RIA, you know, um, we've we've spoken to a lot of accounting firms that have come right out of the gate and they just want to start their own RIA. And usually our advice to them is slow down a little bit, maybe start in a solicitor's agreement to get familiar with not only the business practice, but also the regulatory frameworks and take a lot of time to think about it um, because of those needs on the compliance side and the operation side. Um, and, you know, a lot of the accounting firms are already pretty busy doing their already their compliance work for their clients. And so being really cognizant of that trade-off between the responsibilities you're taking on in-house versus, uh, you know, partnering with, with someone is, is a major consideration that we try to tell people to think about before going straight into to starting to do uh, an RIA. Right. For a lot of, I think for a lot of smaller CPA firms in terms of staffing, that make that may make more, more sense to operate in that in that capacity rather than starting their own firm or affiliating with it in a registered capacity, uh, because a lot of firms there's added costs associated with the regulatory compliance side of things that they're going to need to maybe hire staffing uh, to to deal with that or outsource it, all of which is a cost and. Uh, some firms can can bear the brunt and other firms i think it's it's a bit of a stretch so i think to to your point to ease into that particular position and see if it's the right fit i think it's always best to to um slow down a little bit and and test the waters and see if it's if it's the right move i've got another question here unless rory you got one i can now go ahead rob okay so you know um while we're kind of wrapping up here scott could you maybe just touch briefly on some hot items uh, that SEC and FINRA are really going out there uh, and looking at. You know, we've been reading in the news about uh, elderly abuse was was one one area. Um, you know, obviously, everybody 
remembers Madoff, uh, who just passed away uh, this week. But you know, what are some of those kind of big ticket compliance items that they're they're really focusing on uh, out there? Yeah, I think some of the 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 focal points we're seeing lately are coming in in the areas of um, of transparency and disclosures, right? So whether you're operating in a kind of a solicitor capacity or an investment advisor, uh, regulators are looking very closely at firms um, and their disclosures and how transparent they are with their uh, fees, their relationship with their clients, uh, conflicts of interest in particular. Those things are, I think, at the forefront. Um, you know, with with a lot of what's happened, not only in the pandemic recently, but you know, in the in the past, you've seen a, a focus on cybersecurity. Advisors are looking really to protect uh, and provide sufficient safeguards for um, uh, sensitive information uh, that you house on behalf of your clients, right? So that's whether you're an accounting firm or your investment advisor firm. A lot of us have that information that's that's uh, sensitive in nature. So uh, to provide sufficient safeguarding measures to make sure that that um, that information is protected. Uh, there's also outside business activities. So invariably what we see is in regulators, what they see has to do with advisors who are maybe running a practice and have uh, one or more outside business activities that may be complementary, whether they're on the brokerage side, whether they're on the, the insurance side or the mortgage side, real estate, what, what have you. Um, it's making sure that those are properly disclosed um, so that you're fully transparent with conf uh, conflicts of interest, things of that nature. And um, yeah, I think that's that's it. I mean, you had mentioned the elderly abuse. I think there's, uh, there's an added focus on that uh, con concerning clients that may be getting uh, older in age. Uh, there's issues with related to um, uh, just handling clients that are that are in that are moving into that particular period of their lives, right? So, uh, making sure and continuing to offer um, quality services without taking advantage of obviously anyone in that capacity. Got it. No, that's that's been been ex exceptionally helpful. Um, you know, and and as we're starting to wrap up here, I'll, I'll remind everybody that's listening that if they want to learn more about. Uh, what we've been talking about, and they're interested in, in incorporating holistic wealth management services into their current practice uh, to reach out uh, in regards to a, our course. Um, but you know, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you, Scott, or or find you? Uh, the best way is just to uh, go on our website, uh, connexion.com, and uh, contact us page. They can reach out and ask any questions. Happy to help out. And we'll put all the information in the show notes as well for you, Scott. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming on, Scott. It's very informative. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. All right. All opinions expressed by Rob Santos and Rory Henry on this website podcast interview are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Arrowroot Family Office, LLC, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by anyone as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of their opinions. Past performance is not indicative of future results.